Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Welcome to My Millennial Property with John Pigeon and joined by Emily Wallace as always. Hello, Emily. Across the screen, how are you? Very well, thanks. Look, we've been running this show, you and I, together for about 12 months and we have not done one episode in the flesh. No, 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 hang on a second. You're, you have a very bad memory, John. We did. We did it around um, Christmas time or December when we had a break, remember, and we recorded at Glenn's house. Did we do that? Oh, we did. Oh. <laughs> There you go. I've got a bad memory. It's so, always, sorry. It's our one year anniversary, John. I think we should do something to celebrate. We literally, should. like I think this week is literally a year since we started recording together. So happy anniversary. So, yeah. And and right back at you. Yeah. That, well, uh, we've, uh, we've celebrated that hard that we've got Rachel from Sphere Finance on the show today. Hey, Rach, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to talk all things mortgage broking because Emily and I want to find out what's happening in that loan space. We talk to clients all the time. We're, we're buying property ourselves. We're looking at our own finance structures and we just want to get from you today, the, the, from the horse's mouth, what's actually happening on the streets. Sure. Let's do it. So, Rach, it's a really common question at the moment that keeps popping up in the Facebook group. First and foremost, like the most obvious one that we get is why would someone go with a mortgage broker? Now, I preface this with the fact it's been a while since we've had a broker on the show. So, in plain and simple terms, why would somebody go with a mortgage broker for their finance over walking into their favourite local bank? Yeah, well, I think that people like choice. So, being able to go to a mortgage broker, and generally that mortgage broker doesn't cost the client anything, you don't have just one bank's products available to you, you have the advice of all of the bank's products. So, a broker can look across all different banks and lenders. Mm. And, and that's that's the cool thing about it because it, it is a time thing to say, well, I'll go and make contact with 20-odd lenders and obviously we've got our big four um, headed up by probably CBA having the majority of that. But um, it, it does take a lot of time but also understanding what questions to ask and, and what Uh, I suppose, loans going to suit me best based on my industry that I'm in, based on my income levels, my assets, liabilities, have I got dependents? So it's not just let's go and find a lender with the best rate, is it? Yeah, well, I think that a lot of people think that it is about rate or it is about who's got the best product at the time. But generally, when we're sitting down with a client, the I guess the reason that we're choosing certain lenders is based on their requirements. Maybe it's the fact that they are in a certain industry and they have things open to them that aren't available at all banks. Or maybe they've got a certain type of overtime or they're self-employed and the banks all look at those things very differently. 
Most definitely. Now, we've got quite a few things to cover off on today, a lot around different terminology as well, because um, some people have been listening and a supporter of the podcast for a long time. Others, this might be their first time even tuning in. So, shout out to you guys. One thing I'd like to cover off on is around the fixed versus variable rate loans. There's always this debate about what should we do? Um, Can we do both? Should we only do one or the other? So, can we break down maybe just first, like what is a fixed versus a variable rate loan and then maybe your thoughts on like the choice between the two? Sure. Well, fixed is exactly exactly what it says. It's a fixed loan. So, you choose a term. So, it might be say three years and you fix at a particular rate. With a fixed loan, you get the certainty of knowing what you're paying every month for that period that you're fixed and you know that what the rate is and it's not going to fluctuate with the market. However, there is some, I guess, some negatives that come along with fixed loans, which are that you are fixed. So, there is an exit fee if you leave a fixed rate loan in that term. Um, and there is also different Uh, restrictions that may come with a fixed loan, such as not having offset available and not being able to make, you know, as much extra payments as you like. So, so as a a client on a fixed loan structure, can I offset any of the money generally, or is that just a, a hard and fast, no, you're fixed in, you can't make extra payments or put extra money into an offset account against it? For the vast majority of banks, you can't have offset on fixed. There are a couple that do have partial or full offset on fixed. It is very few and far between, but generally um, we would do a split loan, if, especially if it was somebody's owner occupied. So generally, if somebody was doing a, wanted to fix for a period of time, we would always leave a portion of that loan variable so we could still utilise offset and still give them the ability to make extra payments. So that's, I mean, it explains itself, right? Fixed is pretty obvious. Um, Variable being the opposite of that, that the rate obviously changes. I mean, I would assume that's a good thing if the rate goes down. It is. So there is the times where people do fix and then rates go down. Um, There are times like now where rates are incredibly low and people do want to capitalise on that. And sometimes it is a good idea to fix, especially if people are are borrowing, you know, right up to the top of where their comfort level is and that the variance in rates may be going up may cause them distress. So sometimes you don't fix to save money as much as you fix for that peace of mind. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And, and I think um, going back in time when I first started investing, uh, I was always told, keep it variable, you'll never beat the banks, fixing will just um, lock you into something that might not be beneficial for you. Um, and, and as you said, low interest rates at the moment, we've seriously got to consider that um, high level, but also taking into account people's risk profile as well, right? They just might feel comfortable. They might uh, be uh, have some job uncertainty or the, there might be things in their life that actually mean a fixed loan regardless of the financial outcome is just going to allow them to sleep better at night. Oh, that's 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 so true. So if people are borrowing a, a large loan in comparison to their their incomes, fixing might be you know, more important for them. But a lot of people think that they want to fix when they've got quite a small mortgage and it may not always be the best for them because if you look at the period that you may want to fix for and the extra payments that you could make in that time, oh, the cons would far outweigh the pros for fixing for them. 
Now, Rach, another question for you, I guess, um, also a breakdown of terminology that's been very common in the uh, Facebook group. The Facebook group I'm referring to, by the way, if you are a new listener, it is the My Millennial Money Facebook group where you can post questions to us with hashtag property. And one that's popped up a lot of late has been understanding the difference between an offset account versus a redraw facility. Now, I'm genuinely not even across this myself, so I, it's a personal growth here in this uh, podcast session today. But what what is the what do they each do, and what is the difference between them? So a redraw is actually in your loan, so you've got the ability to make additional repayments in a variable home loan, and then you can take those additional repayments out. So that's classified as available redraw. So if you have a loan and you're putting extra repayments in, and then you'd like to access those funds, you can take that out, and that's that's what's classified as redraw. Offset is an everyday transaction account that's linked to your home loan that the bank looks at the combination of that account, or there could be several, but let's say that account and your home loan and interest is calculated on what your home loan is minus whatever is in that account. So if you have a home loan of 200,000 and you have 100,000 in your offset account today, you would only be charged interest on $100,000. Okay. So right. the interest is calculated daily, isn't it? So that every day that you have those funds in there is going to benefit you from a uh, saving interest point of view. It is. And not all offset accounts are equal. But if you are if you are looking at a true 100% offset account with a bank, it is calculated daily. So I've probably asked this question a million times to people, why would I have a redraw when I can get an offset? Um, sometimes we get advised by the accountant to, to keep the funds in offset um, because obviously there's a difference if it's been paid off the loan to if it's, because if it's in an offset account, you're not actually paying it off the loan. It's just, you're not paying interest on the funds that are in your bank account, which is very separate to it being in the home loan itself. Mm. So I've, I've got a friend that runs a podcast called My Millennial Money and he's pretty self-admission, terrible with his money, right? So he he wouldn't benefit that much from an offset because he might be likely to go and spend it. Yeah, well, if it, some people's personal bu- personal budgeting reasons, you yeah. would put it into the home loan itself, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, but but the concept of redraw versus offset, if I'm if I'm putting funds or, or paying extra off the loan, but I've still got access to it, right? It's the same as an offset essentially, isn't it? <laughs> Trick is question. That, is that too deep? <laughs> <laughs> if you have, say, a, a, an investment property mm. and it's sitting in an offset account, it might be very different. So I have my, some clients that come to me that have bought their first home and let's say they've got a mortgage of $500,000 and they've, they're 300000 ahead in repayments and that's all in redraw. Mm-hmm. Now, if they had had that in an offset account, they could quite simply take that fun, those funds out of the offset and put that into the next property. Yeah. And what's in that home loan now would be tax deductible against that property. Yes. However, if they had it, if they put it into redraw, they technically can't redraw that those funds out mm. and then make that a tax deductible debt. Yeah, yeah. So that's the piece of gold right here and now, listeners, is that difference between the offset and a redraw from a tax perspective if we're going to take that money and go and use it for investment purposes. Yes. Uh, and also understanding 
what you're wanting to do with that principal place of residence to begin with because it may you may decide well I'm going to rent that out in a few years time and it's going to become an investment property and now I have tax deductible debt um, versus keeping my owner occupied for the next 10 years so understanding what you want to do with that property long term is also critical when understanding. That's completely true so when we're talking to a client about what the purpose is of their property that they're buying if there is the potential that that property is going to be an investment down the track, mm. we would definitely advise to use offset accounts rather than redraw yeah. based on their strategy of wanting to turn that into a, an investment down the track, even if it was a possibility that that yeah. would turn into an investment down the track. It's better to have the option there. Now, uh, maybe a bit of a silly question, but I'm sure some people are thinking it. Do you have to have an offset or a redraw facility with your loan or can you just have the loan? You can just have the loan. If you don't want offset and you don't want to have redraw available to you, you can opt to not have redraw so those extra funds are not available to you. And there are a number of clients we'd recommend that for. Perfect. Now, there is another thing that keeps popping up in the group and it, it wasn't on the agenda for today. So, I hope I'm not um, throwing a spanner in the works too much here. Um, but it's one that keeps popping up in so many of our um, podcast episodes around how to get into the market sooner, particularly for first home buyers. And that's around um, guarantor loans. Now, I personally think there is such a lack of education around guarantor loans. Um, I think if more people understood it, more people would be in the market sooner if they understood you know, the risk and reward in involved in it. Is a guarantor loan something that you personally would recommend to first home buyers who are trying to get into the market but struggling to get that deposit fully together? We do an extraordinary amount of parental guarantee loans and I would think that everybody should be at least aware of them and how they can assist to get into the market earlier. Um, and I think it's something that every first home buyer should at least explore the option of. So, parental guarantees can be very different to, to what everybody may think. Um, a, lot of, a lot of parents think about the old guarantor loans in the 90s and the new limited guarantee loans are very different. So, I, I think it's great to have education out there about what options are available both to the person buying and to the person, you know, potentially offering a guarantee. Can we do a quick, I suppose, case study or example on what that might look like? So, if if I'm the parent and you're the child, <laughs> and I've I've got a say a, a million dollar property that's got a two hundred thousand dollar mortgage attached to it. Yes. Right? I've got eight hundred grand of equity, not usable all of it, but uh, I've got a, a good amount of equity in there, um, and you need, let's say, a hundred thousand dollars as a deposit for your twenty percent deposit on your property. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to use a hundred grand or a hundred thousand dollars of essentially the value of my property, aren't you? That's right. So actually, I had a very similar appointment last night at a Teams meeting with a with a parent in a really similar situation. So he had a property worth about 800000 He had a mortgage of about $100,000. And he had that mortgage with a credit union where he did not want to move from. So one of his reasons he didn't want to offer a guarantee was the fact that he was really happy with this credit union and this credit union didn't offer guarantee loans. Right. Um, I had an appointment with his daughter. She really did need a guarantee. She had had 5% deposit saved, but it's mm. not wasn't quite enough to get in. Um, so when I had that meeting with her father, father, he realised that he could actually leave that guarantee loan where it is at the, you know, at the, at the credit union and put a 20% second interest in the property 
to give a limited guarantee for his daughter to buy and not only get into the market but not pay lender's mortgage insurance, mm. which was a huge saving for her Powerful. and it allowed her to get into the market much faster. Yeah, okay. So the, the key takeaway there is is mum and dad, in case uh, in, in the example my, my house, I'm not – uh, securing the whole house against uh, your property. It's just simply the 100000 from that million-dollar value of that property. Is that right? With some lenders. So it's really important. Right. And this is where we get back to that mortgage broker yes. question earlier. Yes. Some banks do take a full guarantee. Right. And some banks offer very good limited guarantees. Mm. So we would definitely recommend a limited guarantee. Yeah. Um, and we would de- recommend different lenders to the buyer based on the potential guarantor situation. Mm. Yeah, that's a bit of gold right there, isn't it? Like, again, speaks to having a sophisticated mortgage broker in your corner that absolutely knows what they're doing. Yeah, and it's really important to know what the guarantor's longer-term plans are too. I mean, some people want to be able to downsize in a few years' time, and the lender we choose is really important. Um, if we know that that's part of their strategy. I've got a client at the moment who has sold their property and gone off travelling and has actually not bought another property yet and we transferred that guarantee to a term deposit um, until they get back and buy again. So if we know what their plans are, we can pick the lender for their child that's going to suit them and their strategy as well. Now, that's a uh, lot of gold for the listeners to digest. We're going to give them just a little break for a minute um, before we come back and ask a few more questions of, I guess, personal interest for John and I, aren't we, John? Um, A couple of things that we want to know ourselves, which will benefit the listeners and also some more of the Facebook questions that we get asked. So hold tight. We'll be back in just a moment. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Okay, so I need to continue to scratch this this itch on the parental guarantor stuff because it's, uh, as you said, it's it's uh, a not a lot of knowledge out there and people may overlook it and just disregard it. Um, parents might get freaked out because they think their whole house is, is going to be vulnerable, which in some cases it can be if it's not structured right. But uh, coming back to the case study, I'm the parent, you're the child, Rachel. <laughs> um, do I need or do you need... Uh, any sort of de- uh, of a deposit or will the parental guarantor cover that deposit? Yes, well, the the person buying doesn't need any deposit. You can technically borrow 100% plus any associated costs with the purchase. Um, but any deposit that you have saved, if you do put it in, is going to reduce the amount of the guarantee needed. Yeah, yeah. So I can go and, and say, right, Rachel, I'm going to gift you the 20% deposit in the, in the using the uh, value of my home. Uh, you don't have to come up with any funds. It's recommended, obviously, because of good practice and, yes. and uh, having buffers in your own life, etc. Uh, is there a certain amount of time that needs to occur or transpire until I come off that loan? It's actually not uh, based on time. Right. It's based on the value of the loan that's left in comparison to the value of the property. So I did a parental guarantee last year on the Central Coast. It's already been released because the market's picked up so much. Wow. However, if you were to borrow 100% plus costs in a in a market where it didn't move for a period of time, yep. that guarantee could last for a, a lot longer. Yeah, okay. So are we generally talking a loan-to-value ratio of, what, 80%? At 80%, it can be reduced without any cost. Yeah. I have had a case where the parents wanted their deeds back before that 80% was reached, and we could do that, but mortgage insurance was payable at the time. But it was still worthwhile to do the print guarantee in the first place so they wouldn't have gotten to the market. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's that... Um, case in point there, isn't it, is looking at um, getting into the market now versus waiting another three years to save your deposit. Like so much can happen in in the markets around the country in in three years. That's right. And so many people who I've seen saving for deposits over the last two years' time, if they did have a parental guarantee available to them, I mean, they would already be in a position to release it by now in the time that they've been saving. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's awesome. I understand the 100% that you can borrow plus costs, but I assume that the real estate agent who is selling the property would require some form of financial commitment money-wise, like physical money as opposed to the equity that's sitting there. So, it might be a point that I guess buyers can negotiate how much deposit they actually give the real estate agent or the seller when they commit to the sale of that the purchase of that property, like, you know, when usually in an auction, it's five or 10%. In a private sale, it might be a, a fixed sum of money. Can that be taken out of the guarantor or does it need to physically be, you know, money in a bank account? Generally, if somebody is borrowing 100% plus costs, they would use a, what's called a, a deposit bond for the deposit, which is a bond that you buy that covers you for the deposit until it's physically available because the bank doesn't fund the loan until settlement. And if you did need a 10% deposit or even a 5%, you still need to physically have that. If the buyer did have 5% saved and didn't want to buy a bond, they may, they may negotiate a 5% cash deposit rather than a 10%. Yeah, yeah awesome. that makes sense. Okay. So, we talk to a lot of savvy investors that want to take real massive action to create future wealth. Um, early 20s, 30s, doesn't matter. With AIDS, they just want to take action. Can we get a parental guarantor 
with investment property, uh, to buy an investment property. And second part of that is, can we use mum and dad's house twice? I've already used it once. Can I take a little bit more of a chunk like we take equity? Generally, you can only have one parental guarantee in place at a time. Um, I have had a client that has bought a number of investment properties using parental guarantees. However, they've bought one property, built some equity, released the guarantee and bought the next using that same guarantee. Right. So, we can transfer the guarantee from one property to the next because we've released it. That's right. Awesome. Um, Some lenders will allow that, but generally the rule is you can only have one parental guarantee in place at a time. The parent, however, can have more than one with some lenders. So, they may have three children and have three guarantees in place, but for three different children. Okay. All right. That, that's good to know, isn't it? So for all you savvy investors out there that, that just want to keep buying bricks and mortar, there's your way out. Is, uh, is, yeah, right. If your parents are on board with your strategy, it can be a really effective way to do it. Yeah, totally. Especially if mum and dad are actually helping to pull the strings and say, well, okay, we can get you into the market sooner rather than later and this is how we're going to do it. And we almost do it like a, a joint venture arrangement, even though you're the only one on the title. That's right. And a lot of the time, the, the person pushing it is the parent. The parent or our client first, and they really yeah. want to get their children into property. Yeah, awesome. I think um, that's cleared up quite a few uh, questions around guarantor loan because a lot of people hear the term but don't quite know what it means or the complexities that can come with it. So hopefully that helps. If you do have any further questions, though, for those of you listening, always feel free to put them in the Facebook group. Happy to even bring Rachel in for another episode down the track or cover them off in the group. So feel free to do that. One thing we did want to look at today, Rach, is certainly around the interest only versus P&I loan setup. Now, I must admit, I am personally going through a debate in my own head at the moment around what I do because my um, I'm refinancing my current loan for one of my investment properties and I'm trying to work out what I should do. So, and I know John probably has opinions as well on how long to hold it for interest only versus P&I. So, I guess we want to have a bit of a a chat, maybe a bit of a debate (laughs) as to which side of the fence might be better and why. John, what's your personal take on on interest only versus P&I? Yeah, it's it's a good conversation to be had and I think so many people would be listening into this saying, yeah, I've got this exact same thought. Uh, And I think generally speaking, before we've reached these record interest rate lows, it was um, always interest only for me for investment properties, P&I for my own owner-occupier and and not complicate things and pay down that debt as quick as I can and and borrow as little as I can from the banks for my investments. Um, and, And whilst a lot of that remains true for me today, there's a couple of things that have changed, I think, and Rachel talk to this. Um, the one is we, we can't continue to roll interest only loans over like we used to. Like I used to get five years interest only and the bank would just say, yeah, we've rolled it over for another five years and, and life goes on. So we just, that was the norm. Now it's, I get to the end of my first three years or five years and they say, look, you've got options here, but you need to apply uh, and you'll either get a green light or a red light. And the chances are you may have to pay P&I on that investment property uh, and, unless you refinance to another lender. 
business. So I think it's the first time in my investing history where I'm saying, look, I might actually fix in a principal and interest loan on my investment because the rates are so attractive and they're wanting me to pay P&I anyway. Yeah, well, there's definitely a push from the banks to encourage clients to pay principal and interest. And one of the levers that they use is rate. So traditionally, yes, you would always pay interest only on your investments and principal and interest on your owner occupied. And that was always true until there was a change in the rate. So a few years ago, the banks started to use levers of increasing the rates on interest only loans. Um, that gap was bigger a few years ago. It has it has closed a little bit recently, but there's still a number of clients that would opt to pay principal and interest even on investment lending because of that exact reason that you said. Um, it's also important to note that, as you said, it's a credit decision now to have an interest only loan rolled over. So if you aren't in a position to service all of your loans at that time that the interest only comes up, you'll be forced to pay principal and interest. So sometimes yeah. it's better to do it not being forced. And that's interesting, that point, because, and I was faced with this 12 months ago, I'm like, hang on, you're saying I can't service an interest only loan. How the hell am I going to service a P&I that you're forcing me into? So, <laughs> Well, that's a good point. Interest only isn't there to make it cheaper, it's to make it more, I guess, tax effective for the investor. The, if you have an interest only loan, you actually need to service it over a shorter period of time. So if you have a principal and interest loan over 30 years, you need to service that debt over 30 years. If you opt for a five-year interest-only loan, you need to show that you can service that debt over 25 years. Right. Because at the end of that five-year term, you're going to be paying principal and interest over 25 years. Sure. Yep. Okay. There's my answer. I've learned something new today, Emily. That makes sense. I am literally in this predicament at the moment because I had an interest-only loan for three years and then it automatically rolled over to P&I. Um, just, I didn't keep track of it, to be honest. Um, and now I'm looking at refinancing with a, another lender to get a bit more interest only out of this particular loan potentially, but I'm just still sort of, you know, trying to work out what that looks like. But um, I think it's a debate that a lot of investors have because I sort of had the same mentality as John in terms of investment, go for interest only as long as you can, whereas principal place, you know, pay, pay it down. Um, but if it financially isn't with such a low rate, does it make much of a difference in the repayments and the rental incomes covering it, then why wouldn't I opt to try and pay some of it down, which hasn't hurt me too badly as it automatically changed over anyway. So, mm. you yeah. never know. And in your personal situation, you haven't got any owner-occupied debt. So, it, it makes even more sense to to definitely look at the P&I option because you what, – what would you save about half a percent on a, a P&I versus interest only at the moment for, for investment at least? With some of the lenders, it can be as low as a quarter of a percent now, yep. but for some banks, it can be 1% different. Right. So it really wow. is something that I tend to put the scenario out to clients both ways. Yep. So we tend not to advise, but to give the options. This is what it's going to look like interest only, and this is what it's going to look like principal and interest. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Because I've got a client that's got a manageable amount of debt on their owner occupier and also have a pretty good yielding property or properties uh, as an investment portfolio and they've decided to pay P&I on all of them. So they're actually paying P&I in a situation where 
for two of the properties, they actually the rent covers the cost of the running the property plus the principal, which I think is an outstanding outcome. Um, especially considering they've got some amazing growth in the last few years as well. So really understanding your investment strategy is critical on the way in, but also knowing the numbers of what you can handle is critical as well. That's right. I've got a number of clients who are in a very similar position now where their properties are all cash positive, but they have all of the extra payments going into a separate offset account that's offsetting their owner-occupied loan, right? but that they still have those funds separated so yeah. they know that that's not their money to touch. Yeah, sure. Okay, awesome. So that's where CBA, some are not promoting CBA by any means, but that's where that unlimited offset account gives you that flexibility as well. Oh, I would always recommend multiple offset accounts yeah. for an investor that was planning on holding multiple properties. Yeah. Um, and But it's not only the Commonwealth Bank, Bankwest, Macquarie, Newcastle Permanent, there's a number of banks that will allow you to have unlimited offset accounts. Mm. And I personally have an, a lot of offset accounts and you can name them whatever you like. Yeah. It's great. It is good, isn't <laughs> it's it? Great. Yeah. Do you go in and change yours off I too? Do. Like, <laughs> I might give this one a different name this month. Oh. Yeah. I've, I've changed the travel one recently just to savings <laughs> because it depressed me. What do you call it? Home. Slush fund. Still. <laughs> Kmart fund. That's what I reckon it should yes. be. <laughs> Rach, look, I think it's pretty evident that we may need to get you back on because I'm sure even from like today's conversation, I already know little brains are ticking over thinking of, you know, but what about this and what about that with probably more questions to come through the Facebook group. So, I'm sure if you're willing and able to, we'd love to have you back on the podcast at some point to talk through some more points. But before we close out, John, is there anything else that we should cover off on today that we've noticed has been a burning question in the, um, in the old Facebook group? Yeah, look, I, the only thing I, I would ask Rachel is like everyone's just saying what's what are lending conditions like now because there's always this running commentary of oh, it's hard to get loans now, it's harder than ever or it's some some are saying it's easier than ever. Like it's obviously comes down to everyone's personal situation but are you finding banks have got a pretty good appetite to take on new, new loans? I've done this for about 20 years now and I have found that it is the most difficult time in the industry. However, there's always a solution. It's just our job's a little bit harder finding the right solution. But I have not found lending to be harder for the client. I've just found that we need to make sure we do much more homework before selecting a lender. Yeah, so tick more boxes and more due diligence on the client and yeah. Okay, so there you have it red hot hot off the press you can get a loan you've just got to be strategic and have the right team of people in your corner that's right cool rachel thank you for coming on thank you for having me thanks rach appreciate your insights and uh, if you've got any further questions guys pop them in the facebook group we will be sure to answer them have a great week ahead bye We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. 
Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And I've created the Buying Coach, built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.